Matthew chapter 15, the thought struck me that as we were singing that last scripture song, and you know those, of course we know the Holy Spirit guided in the in the record, the writing and the preserving of all the things that have been written in scripture, and so we understand that, that's fundamental. But if the psalmist, those who wrote those psalms, could express themselves in that way, in such expressions of praise and adoration of, of Jehovah God, as they understood him and the, with the revelation, or excuse me, the, the light that had been given to them with the coming of Christ and what we've come to see in Christ, shouldn't we be praising so much more? I mean, if you, I mean, it's just it seems logical in my mind that we would have even more reason, not that we're praising and worshiping a different God. That's not the point. But there's so much more that has been revealed to us. We have the fullest revelation of God in in the person of Jesus Christ, who, as we heard in the last hour. And so I, I hope that that I mean, I was I. My heart is worshiping. I hope yours is too. Matthew chapter 15. Our text this morning is verses 10 through 20. When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand. Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, that defiles a man. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know? That the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying. Now this, the disciples coming to him here is, there's a bit of time break here. Mark tells us that. Uh, he spoke those previous words to the multitude and then the disciples and Jesus went away and it was in that away place when they were alone that the disciples then asked him this. Mark informs us of that. So from 12 forward, He's speaking to his disciples as they ask him this question. Don't you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? But he answered and said, every plant which my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Then Peter answered and said to him, explain this parable to us. So Jesus said, are you also still? And that word still there is a, it's a strong word. It's as if Jesus is kind of chiding them a bit. I, I, I've talked to you about these things already. You should know these things. Are you also still without understanding? I wonder, I wondered to myself as I meditated on that, how many, how many times the Lord could say that to me in my life. Are you still without understanding? And I have to confess, yes, Lord, I I still am. Please continue to teach me. Continue to help me. And he's so kind, isn't he? So he loves us and he, he does teach us. Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. And they defile a man for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts murders adulteries fornications thefts false witness false witness blasphemies these are the things which defile a man but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man so jesus turns from speaking directly to the pharisees to now speak to the crowds and to his disciples Now, many of these were the crowd, the multitude in verse 10, were those who had received physical healing. We that we looked at back in chapter 14. It's as if they had kind of stepped away when the scribes and Pharisees came. Remember, the scribes and Pharisees were authoritative figures, imposing figures and probably intimidating figures. And as they came, the those who were, you know, the the scumbag crowd uh, as they may have viewed them, they 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 backed away, stepped away, and Jesus engaged them. We saw that in in the first uh, first nine verses. And then, so the, Jesus calls the uh, the multitude. When he called the multitude, he said, I, "I got something to say to you. I want to speak to you." 
And though he had healed them, and you would think, well, that's what they wanted. They wanted physical healing. Uh, go along your way. You know, be merry. Go along your way. But there was something more that they needed to hear. Jesus knew full well that their physical healing wasn't going to last. They were going to die. Right? I mean, they were going to get sick again. And they were going to die. They needed something that was deeper than just physical healing. And so he calls them to himself to speak to them. And then ultimately he speaks to the disciples. Now, just to refresh your mind, if you need it, refreshing according to Jewish oral traditions, which were interpretive additions to the Mosaic law. There were many of them. One of those was this, that a person was defiled and unfit for worship who ate food touched by unwashed Hands, And there were elaborate rules that the scribes came up with for washing before eating. It wasn't just rinsing your hand with dial soap or whatever, or, you know, whatever our, our uh, hyper type of cleansing soaps that we have now. That, that's not the issue. It went well beyond that. I mean, to the elbows, and I'm not going to go into all the details. You can look it up, look up, look it up online and see it for yourself. We saw last week. That Jesus turned the table on the Pharisees, calling them hypocrites and vain in their acts of worship. And why did he call them that? If you remember, it's because while they acted out external forms of worship. And they gave lip service of devotion to God. Jesus said, applying Isaiah's words to them, their hearts were far from God. Their hearts were far from God. And what was the evidence of their hearts being far from God? They favored the commandments of men over God's clear word. They violated his commandment by their oral tradition. And that's what Jesus calls them out on. And whenever we twist the clear revelation of God in Scripture, we're really doing the same thing. When we do that to accommodate our own human thinking or desire, that leads us to ignore what he says as if as if we know better than God, as if God is not the God that he is that we just heard about in the last hour, that he's not really that God. And, and what he has given to us isn't sufficient or it's harmful, it's hurtful. I, I've got to figure out a better way. That's really what we're in essence saying. And that's that's not worship. A true Worshipful heart is tuned to what God says. It's tuned to who he is. And it's tuned to what he says over any religious traditions formed by men. And so New Testament saints. And I think it's important to make this distinction because Jesus is here speaking in the context of Old Testament saints before the cross, before the vanishing of the old covenant. So. Uh, the things that were true for them was true for these. And so that needs to be kept in mind. But for you and me, New Testament saints, the final word that forms our worship is that which has come to us in these last days from God by his son. And that's important. It's that word that has been communicated in its final form in the New Testament. Now, you understand every statement I'm making here. We could launch off into all kinds of clarifications and explanations, and I don't want to do that. Hopefully, you understand some of these things as fundamental principles. But we don't form our worship based upon Old Testament principles that were outlined under the Mosaic Law. We form our worship under the principles that have been established under Christ in the New Testament, communicated through the apostles, upon which the the church is founded. And so Jesus then moves into verse 10 through 20. And he tells us specifically here why he concludes as he concludes. Now, the conclusion doesn't come till verse 20. There he speaks specifically to the question. And he says, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Now, the verses prior to this, Jesus is giving us explanation. Now, that's the specific issue under consideration. But Jesus answer is far greater than that, is far more reaching than that. He sets forth a principle that will not only answer that concern. But actually represents a fundamental shift in emphasis 
from the Pharisees' mindset to the mind of Christ. It's fundamental what Jesus is saying here. It was actually quite shocking to the minds of that day. You'll notice that the word defile is a key word in these verses. In verse 11, it's used twice. In verse 18, it's used once. And in verse 20, it is used twice. So 2 plus 2 plus 1 equals children. 2 plus 2 plus 1 equals. Anybody know? Children? <laughs> Thank you. All right. There's a there's a childlike voice right there. It's five. Sometimes you get nervous sitting with silence, don't you? Yeah, it's five, five times. And 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 that, there's a reason for this emphasis. Now, there were numerous laws related to ceremonial uncleanness or defilement in the Mosaic law. But so far as I know, there were none of those were actually called sin. They were primarily physical representations of moral defilement. Now, the sin was not doing what God said. But the actual cleansing laws didn't have to do with sin. They had to do with the representation of sin. And so Jesus is contending that the Pharisees could not see the truth even of those laws. And their additions to what, to what God gave through Moses clearly revealed their blindness. Defilement before God has always been more than an external issue. Even in the Old Testament. This is not a New Testament thing. This is not a New Covenant reality. God is always seen below the surface. In 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And then in 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 38 through 40, as Solomon is praying in the dedication of the temple, he says this, when, when under that covenant, the Covenant curses, as it were, fell upon the people and they were scattered. Whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone when they're in this position, this condition of being driven out of the land by or by all your people, Israel, when each one knows the plague of his own heart and spreads out his hands toward this temple, then here in heaven, your dwelling place and forgive and act And give to everyone according to all his ways, whose heart you know. And then this parenthesis. For you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men. That they may fear you all the days that they live in the land which you gave to our fathers. You see, the point is that one could keep all the ceremonial washings of the old covenant including the additional ones that the, that the scribes came up with, and they would still be morally defiled. The law provides types, shadows, and pictures, and they're important. But they have no power to remedy our defilement. And the same thing is true today. We'll be making that observation later in the message. So Jesus is shifting the focus of the Jews From physical, ceremonial, to moral and spiritual. And so he says, as he brings the crowd together, and his disciples are there, hear and understand. There's something fundamental here that I am showing you. Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man. But what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. And he's not talking about that which you regurgitate. That is, you ate food and then you regurgitated it, food that comes out of it. That's not what he's talking about here. So don't miss the truth by making it all physical in your mind. That's not the point. He says, hear and understand. Listen carefully. What is Jesus saying as he speaks first to the crowd and then he speaks to his disciples? Clarifying what he's saying. 
And the first point we see is that defilement, and this is moral and spiritual defilement, not ceremonial defilement. Moral and spiritual defilement is not from without, outside of us. That's pretty clear, verse 11. Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man. In verse 17, as he clarifies it with the disciples, he says, Do you not understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? By the way, Mark actually adds this. It doesn't go into the heart. It goes into the stomach and is eliminated. So specifically in view here is the oral tradition broken by the disciples. Jesus is saying that cannot morally defile. Eating with unwashed hands cannot morally defile. Now, that's the specific thing that Jesus is addressing. But the language he uses goes well beyond that. Now, he's not saying that nothing from the outside can have a moral effect upon you. Some people might read this and say, well, nothing There's nothing outside of me, nothing in the world. There's nothing that can affect me in a spiritually negative way. But we know there's a reason why Paul later writes things like come out from among them and be separate. Say that the Lord touched not the unclean thing. And there's an application under the new covenant to those principles. And then he also said things like make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So we know Jesus is not saying there is nothing external. There is nothing of a physical nature that can negatively affect you. But simply touching, ingesting, or being in the presence of evil does not defile. Recently, I was on a cruise. And there were a lot of defiling things on that cruise. A lot of morally Despicable things on that cruise. And as I wandered around the the ship, I engaged some of that. In other words, I was in the presence of it. Now, in some of the places that I went, I came out smelling, for example, like a cigarette. And as I walked through, I saw things that I would never engage in. But none of those things defiled me. I didn't go through that and come out on the other side and have to go before God and say, please wash me, cleanse me. I've been defiled. That didn't happen. And Jesus really clarifies this in verse 17 as he states the matter rather crudely, but truly when he says, do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? Need we say more? You know what he's saying, right? In fact, the language there is basically describing something of a toilet. And and that's the point. And Jesus is saying this. And he's saying it because he wants you to get the point. Food or drink in itself is amoral. It goes in and it comes out. It doesn't impact one's moral state. Now, don't misunderstand. We're not talking about... Overindulgence, overindulgence in food or drink is another issue. That's a heart level matter. But we're talking about the substance itself, the thing itself. Of course, what Jesus is saying was quite radical to first century Jews. We know that Peter struggled with this, don't we? I mean, he's hearing what Jesus is saying and he hears the explanation. In fact, he's, you know, Peter's asking the question and Peter gives the answer. And Peter's still struggling with the principle that Jesus, even after the resurrection, he's struggling with this principle. And that's why he had to have this dream, you remember, and the sheet let down and all these unclean animals that were in that vision. And in the vision, he was told, eat. I'm reading from Acts chapter 10. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him and said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. That's the word that's in our text. Defiled, that's translated defiled. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. And so Jesus is really 
introducing here in these words a shift in focus from the law that will be more fully understood later. They're not understanding everything he's saying here, even after he clarifies it. But you see that Peter eventually does understand. And God, in teaching him, taught other Jews and teaches us this principle. And the principle is clear. Moral defilement is not from without, it's from within. That's the second point. Defilement is from within. It issues from the heart. The heart is the source. And so the principle in verse 11, he says, But what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. And then he clarifies that in verses 18 through 20. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. And so you see, he's not talking about a a something physical coming out of the mouth. They defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. What does he mean when he speaks of the heart? He uses it in verses 18 and 19. What does Jesus mean by that? He's referring to the core. He's referring to the engine of life. The body without the heart is lifeless. That's what we bury. We don't bury the heart. We bury the body. It's the mind. It's the the emotion. It's the will. It's what makes up that that living life part of you. It's what governs you. It's the true person as you really are. Your heart. It's the reservoir within you from which life is lived. The motivation. God teaches us that by nature the heart is desperately wicked, doesn't He? Remember Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. It's interesting, the heart, the mind. He's sort of using interchangeable language there. See, that inner part of you. Even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. So Jesus says the heart is the source of the things which proceed out of the mouth and defile. Now, Jesus has already made this point with some Pharisees back in chapter 12 and verse 24. I believe this 34. This is one reason why he says what he says to the disciples when, you know, when Peter says, explain this thing. Are you, don't you understand yet? He says back in chapter 12 and verse 34, speaking to these Pharisees, On that occasion, brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things for out of the abundance of the heart? Jesus knew their hearts. And he's saying out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so Jesus is making this point here. He's confirming this truth as he speaks pointedly of these Pharisees in this context. Their words contradictory to the word of God. Remember that from last week? Their words, contradictory. That God says, honor your father and your mother. Their words contradicted the word of God. Their words coming out of their mouths issued from defilement that was within. Something was wrong with them fundamentally. And so Jesus in verses 12 through 14 as the disciples confront him, it, it seems like the, the Pharisees understood Jesus' point. That's why they, I don't know if they spoke to the disciples, but the disciples heard them talking about what Jesus said. And they were offended. And so, of course, that bothered the disciples because they still had a respect for these religious leaders. And so they said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Of course Jesus knew that they were offended. He knew what He was saying was going to expose their hearts. He knew He was going to the root of the matter, the root of their problem, and the, really the problem of every human being. And they were offended. They were indignant at His scandalous conclusion. They knew Jesus was saying that their oral tradition came from hearts that didn't love God, didn't honor God. And how was that revealed? They didn't 
want to honor their parents as God said they should. And they found a way around it. So what was coming out of their mouths defiled them. And washing their hands didn't purify anything. Religious ceremony didn't purify anything. By the way, you sitting here this morning and enduring whatever you think you're enduring in this message is purifying nothing. What you heard in the last hour purified nothing. Not that in itself. We're saying the physical, carnal things is not how we're purified. It's not through what we are doing that purifies us. So Jesus says that these Pharisees and their teaching would not stand the test of truth and time. He uses the word uprooted here in verse 13. Every plant. He's talking here about the Pharisees and their teaching. Every plant which my heavenly father. Do you hear what he's saying there? He's he's declaring himself the son of God. My my heavenly father. You know, he taught us to pray our heavenly father. But he said, my heavenly father. There was this unique as eternal relationship with his father. My heavenly father. Every plant which he has not planted will be uprooted. And so Jesus is implying, he says it specifically later, that they are of their father, the devil. In fact, I do believe that Jesus here is probably um, taking the minds of the disciples back to his parable of the tares and the wheat. These are tares. These were planted by the devil. But my father plants differently. In fact, um, they may sound and they may look religious, but they're fruitless and they're dangerous and they will expire. And what they are saying will not go beyond, well, their own lives. And it certainly won't go beyond this life uprooted. And of course, in the parable, cast into the fire. But Jesus, I think, is at least implying that he is the one that is planted by his father. In other words, he's the true vine. He's the fulfillment of all that was said of plants and vineyards and vines in the Old Testament and the prophecies of that which would come. And in John chapter 15, he's basically saying, I am the true vine that the father has planted. I am I am that. And these men Or not. So, in essence, he's saying, listen to me. Listen to my words. Follow me. In me, you're a branch in the vine. Or we we might uh, think of another uh, scripture in Romans chapter 6. We are planted together. We've been planted together with Christ in his death and his resurrection. There's that language in scripture of our being planted in Christ with Christ. That he is the true vine. And Jesus says, let them alone. This means send them away. Don't follow them. Let them alone. You remember back in the parable of the tear and the the wheat, he says, let them grow together. It's a similar concept. Except here, I think it's a little more direct. Let them alone means, means push them away. Separate yourself from them. Do not follow them. They are blind leaders of the blind. And as blind guides, he says, and if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into the ditch in chapter 23. Jesus will refer to them twice as blind guides. And as blind guides, they could not see. Listen to this. And I think this is fundamental. They could not see beyond the carnal, physical, visible aspects of the law. They could only add to the carnal ordinances. And they did that. Like many religions before and after. But they could not see the spiritual reality the God-given law or ordinances pointed to. Do you follow the point that's being made here? They were blind, Jesus says. They, they're blind leaders. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall in 
to the ditch, they are not able to see the realities, the spiritual realities, the truths that are being portrayed, that are being pictured, that are being typified, that are being foreshadowed in the law. And that to which the law pointed, they could not see. The spiritually blind can't see beyond religious form. Now think about this. A lot of things could be said, but I want to present this one to you because I heard this by someone just this last week on a YouTube thing where they were, they were maligning. They were maligning all that was said in the Old Testament about sacrificial system and so forth. And then they were mocking the cross of Christ and, and calling it really despicable things. Why would somebody do that? They would do it because they cannot see. All they could see is the physical dynamics of the matter. All they could see is the form. And so the cross holds no spiritual or eternal meaning to the blind person. It's offensive. In fact, here Jesus was standing, and who is He? He is the Word made flesh. But these were blind. And the glory as of the only begotten of the Father could not be seen by them. The disciples saw, right? John says that. They saw Him. The Word became flesh and they saw Him. And what did they see? It wasn't just a man. And it wasn't just a cross. There's a reason why the Apostle Paul at the end of the Galatian letter says, I glory or boast only in the cross. What went in that wooden figure and, and, and even that physical form and that, and those nails and that blood and all, that's gory. A blind person, spiritually blind, is only able to see the form. You see, you understand the point. And they're not able to see the reality, the spiritual reality, the, the reality of what God is communicating in that physical form. This was true in the law. It's still true today. And so religions have all kinds of physical things that they make a great big deal about because that's what people can relate to. And they cannot see. And so blind leaders of the blind. What could these blind leaders see? Well, they could see the faults in others and we could go, well, you see it in our text. In fact, they were finding fault with things that really weren't a fault before God, right? They were faulting them for something that wasn't even a fault. But that's what fault finders do. That's what those who see with physical eyes do. That's all they see. They see nothing else and they're finding fault. That's a pharisaical tendency. Just seeing the surface. Religious blind leaders attract the blind. And so they weren't drawn to Jesus Christ. They were drawn. Those in that day were drawn to the religious leaders who were blind. And Jesus warns his disciples, follow them and you will end up in a ditch. That's what he says. The blind leads the blind. Both will fall into a ditch, into a pit. Then there's no way out. Stuck in religious tradition that does not deal with the real problem. Satisfied with religious tradition. And Jesus is leading us to see beyond our natural minds here as He gives His evaluation of our real need, which He came into the world to resolve. Jesus didn't come into the world just to perpetuate religious traditions. He came into the world to resolve the real problem. And so Jesus emphasizes in verses 18 and 19 that the heart is the issue. There's the reservoir of, for all kinds of sins. Man's fundamental problem, even under the law, and it's still true today, is not ceremonial uncleanness. It's not what you touch, taste, or handle. Remember Paul writing about that in the Colossian letter? 
There were those in that day and still are who make a great deal, a great offense out of touching, tasting, handling external things. That's not the real issue. It's not your environment. It's not what's outside of you. That's not where the real problem lies. Our problem is what's coming out of our mouths. What comes out of your mouth? Words? Did you say words? Yeah. Can you see that's what he's saying? Oh, because that's the context. That they were speaking. Oral traditions. Their lips. Remember that? Honor me with their lips. The things coming out of their mouths. And Jesus is saying, that's where the problem is. It's where that's coming from. It's what we're thinking. And so we elaborates really in verse 19, he says, for out of the heart, there aren't just words, but those words are coming from somewhere that out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. Murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Not only what we're thinking, but what we're doing. And you notice how he pluralizes this. I found that interesting. In other words, he's not talking about a one time act here. He's talking, he's talking about the characterization of a life. And where does it come from? Heart. So Jesus had exposed the Pharisees' violation of the fifth commandment. Remember, honor a father and thy mother. And he exposed them. You're not doing this by your oral tradition, by what's coming out of your mouth. You're sidestepping here. He points to the sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth commandment. Do you see that? Murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness. That's six, seven, and eight. And nine. And so the Pharisees, like Paul, what would they have said to Jesus' charge? What would the Pharisees have said? What did, what did Paul, what did Saul of Tarsus say? Blameless. Blameless. Or you remember the rich guy who said, all these things have I kept from my youth up? They were blind. They couldn't see the real issue. And it's interesting that Jesus heads the list with evil thoughts. And remember the Sermon on the Mount? You remember that? He, it's, it's not just that you pull the trigger or plunge the knife. If you, if you hate, if it's in your heart, you've broken, right? It's, it's not just that you've hopped in bed with somebody that's not your spouse. No, it's if you think in your heart. That, that's where it originates, you see. That's where sin comes from. And Jesus has already exposed this in the Sermon on the Mount. God takes account of your thoughts. And thoughts are the origin of words and actions. You know the Scripture, Proverbs 23, 7. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Jesus is shining His light upon our fundamental problem. Not what is outside of us, but, it, but what is within us. For out of it are the issues of life. Now, as you're listening to Jesus, do you feel, feel yourself resenting? Now, these, these Pharisees resented. Do you feel yourself resenting Jesus' emphasis upon the defiled nature of your heart? I mean, left to itself, your heart. Not, not you're thinking, well, I have a new heart. No, we're not talking about that yet. We're talking about the nature of your heart by nature. This is Jesus' evaluation. I agree with Oswald Chambers who said, either Jesus Christ is the supreme authority on the human heart, or He's not worth paying any attention to. Is He the supreme authority? And we all who know Him say, absolutely, He is. But listen to me. And I had to wrestle with this. Because if you read the record here, you're left with this thinking like, well, all he's doing is exposing. I don't believe that's all 
Jesus is doing. Jesus is not merely exposing. That's what the law does. It only exposes. But Jesus did not come into the world. John 3, is it 17? God did not send his, did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But that the world through him might be saved. Being full of grace. He does expose, but it's for a purpose. He's able to deal with our heart problem. It's one thing if Jesus was exposing, but couldn't do anything about it. But that's not who's doing the exposing here. You know, I, I, you know, we love to go to one another and point out our faults. Maybe the question ought to be asked when somebody points out your faults. Maybe you could say, is there anything you can do about it? Can you help me? That's what God does. That's a triune God, by the way. That's who we're supposed to be like. Not just pointing out the faults. Not just declaring you're going to hell in a handbasket, USA. No. No, I'm telling you, you have a problem. But I'm not telling you so you'll just move on. Conquered by your problem. That's not what's going on. Where sin abounds. Through Jesus Christ. Grace much more abounds. And so what I am saying to you, and I believe, but of course, if you know the whole record of Scripture, you know this is true, but I think it's even implied strongly in our very context. There is a God-ordained solution to the sinner's heart problem. And it does not depend upon human tradition. It does not depend upon us making more rules so we can corral the people and keep them in line. Churches, even Baptist churches, do that all the time. And it doesn't get to the heart of the problem. Defilement will not be removed by carnal washings in whatever form they may come. Baptisms. We can load this tank with water and you can go in and come out a filthy... Rotten sinner. That does not wash away moral corruption. You say, well, we know that preacher already. No, you need to know that this is fundamental. And we can slip away from this fundamental truth in our minds. There is no religious ritual that's going to cleanse you. You say, well, I I read my Bible this morning and had a half hour time of prayer. I know because I clocked it, you know. And I feel real good about myself. Your heart could be still just as filthy as ever. You see, you you understand the point here? The removal of guilt. The removal of defilement. The removal of it. And victory over that heart or those sins that are coming out of that heart depend upon Jesus alone. King Jesus who brings us into a relationship with the Father. We have a relationship to Him as our elder brother. And and there is victory that comes to us. Because of Him, no religious leader can bring you into true worship of God. You say, well, if we just had the right preacher, we just find the right person to stand before us. If I just find the, the right church that has the right guide, no human being can fix it for you. No religious tradition can remove the stain of sin that separates you from God or give you victory over the power of sin. The law, including the Ten Commandments, may expose your defilement, but they can't cleanse you. By the way, I would suggest to you that the law in and of itself won't even expose your defilement, not your moral defilement. Do you remember Saul of Tarsus? Did he know the law? Who knew the law better than Saul of Tarsus? And yet his evaluation of himself before the Spirit of Christ came to him and opened his eyes was, Amen. I'm good. I'm blameless. Isn't that what he said? And he knew the law. So it's not enough simply to announce laws. There must be an interaction with a person, a being called God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You heard in the last hour, my heart was worshiping, and that one must come to me, and no amount of instruction or defining is going to wash away the sins or give you victory over 
it. Do you see the point? If you're, Jesus is saying, changing in this context, and really the application is broad, but changing your diet or your lifestyle or your environment will not address the reservoir from which moral defilement comes. So you put filters on your computer. You're saying, preacher, are you saying I shouldn't put a filter on my computer? I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. I mean, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. There are things that we can do that. And if you need to get rid of something for a season or a while or forever. But the issue is not to stop a behavior. Because I will tell you, you can stop a behavior and another behavior will take its place. Unless you deal with the heart or unless the heart is dealt with. If you're blind, you're going to be attracted to a religious system that emphasizes rules because the blind follow the blind. They follow the blind guides. And you're going to be attracted to that kind of religious system. I have had blindness in my life. Some of you have had as well. And I may not have been spiritually blind in the sense that I didn't have, I wasn't born again, but there were, there were these blind spots that I had. We, I think we all have them to some degree. And we have a tendency to gravitate to a religious system that emphasizes rules and forms that don't address the heart. Legalistic religion without Christ will land you in a pit. Except the pit that it will eventually land you in is a pit of eternal destruction. If you hear and understand what Jesus is saying, you will see that He alone is able to save you. And this is what I see when I read this. I, I am seeing the Savior. He, he's the one who came to deliver. And He's standing there saying these things. And He's, and he's saying, leave them alone. I'm your deliverer. I'm the only one who can do it. And I said earlier, Peter understood this. Eventually, he, he got it. I believe Peter was... I believe he was born again at this point. I believe he was a true follower of Christ. But you can be a follower of Christ. You can be truly born again and have some dark spots that need to be enlightened, right? And here's Peter. And listen to what he says. This was, this was in Acts 15. And this was in reference to Jews who were having a problem that the Gentiles were being saved, but they weren't following the law. So he says in Acts 15, In verse 8, so God, who knows the heart, God, Father, Son, and Spirit, who knows the heart, acknowledged them, Gentiles, by giving them the Holy Spirit relationship. Are you hearing that? Just as He did to us. And made no distinction between us and them. Listen to this. Purifying their hearts by faith. Purifying. The defilement is gone. Purifying their hearts by faith. Faith faith in what? Jesus Christ. Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe... That through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. He's talking about Jews there. We, Jews, will be saved in the same manner as they, the Gentiles. And so Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, will change you from the inside out. A seed which cannot sin is placed within you, First John tells us. There's a new heart, and I think that's the idea. A new heart, no longer characterized by these sins that don't continue in them, even though you may commit them. You don't continue in them because there is something different. There is a reorientation of your heart. In other words, you're in the new covenant. And what is the promise of the new covenant? A new heart I will give them, a new spirit I will put within them, and I will cause them. To walk. He's at work in us. Producing. Fruits. Of righteousness. 
Oh, beloved, don't follow a religion of formality. Baptist or otherwise, it's easy for us to take pot shots at the Catholics and everybody else out there and, you know, condemn them, you know, point the finger at them when we have three fingers pointing pointing back at ourselves. We really do need to think about our own hearts, not everyone else's. Don't ignore the need for a transformed heart. And while there is still potential for sin in every true believer, In Christ. I want you to hear this. In Christ, we are undefiled. Undefiled. Someone's at the door. What's he saying? My love. My dove. My undefiled. That's what Jesus says to you, believer. You say, you don't know what I've done. That's what Jesus says to you. But I've been so sluggish. You know, I'm quoting from the Song of Solomon. She didn't get up right away and go to the door. But this is what he says. My love, my love, my dove, my undefiled. And. By His Spirit that He gives to us, bringing us into that love relationship with the Father and the Son. We are no longer trapped by the power of a defiled heart, or maybe we should put it this way, as we go on into the New New Testament, by remaining sin or the flesh that remains with us. Sin no longer remains no longer dominates, no longer reigns over us in Christ. What a beautiful picture this is. If your heart is exposed, what a mercy of God. There's a solution. Don't don't continue on with that defiled heart. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. And you're going to find The rich reward of a relationship that is absolutely life-changing and will continue to change your life. Father, maybe so.